Hey, listen. So a little while ago, I headed to the Jefferson Park neighborhood in northwest Denver, and I sat down at this coffee shop on the first floor of a condo tower to meet up with a homeowner named Julie, who told me the kind of funny story of how she ended up living there. I came to walk uh, one day around the park and saw this building, and there was a sign that said, affordable units available. And I went, and like my little angry activist self was like, affordable for whom? As it turns out, they meant affordable to her. They really did. Six out of the 60 condos were designated for lower price levels, and so Julie decided that she was going to make it work. I sold my car (laughs) to help, like, make my down payment. I applied for the down payment assistance program. I cobbled it together, like, through the skin of my teeth and closed on this place at the beginning of July 2008. And it was right as the crisis started unfolding. Now, today, more than a decade later, housing costs in northwest Denver have essentially tripled, quadrupled, quintupled. It's a similar story in cities and towns across Colorado and, frankly, the whole country. Because I was able to eke into an affordable place to live, I was able to stay here and witness a lot of the transformation of this community. Now, this is a really common story, but there's a reason I wanted you to hear from Julie in particular. And that's because she's actually State Senator Julie Gonzalez. And in this new legislative session, she is one of the key people shaping how the state will respond to a housing crisis that has somehow gotten even worse during the pandemic. This is Purplish from CPR News, a podcast about Colorado politics and policy. I'm Megan Verlee, filling in for Benta Berklin on this episode. And I'm Andy Kenny. I've been looking into a monumental effort to make it possible for more people to afford housing in Colorado, what it might accomplish, where it could fall short, and the big, big questions it raises about the future of the state. Now, Andy, this is one of the things that Republicans and Democrats at the State House have said they want to focus on this session. Yeah. Uh, we heard it a lot in the opening day speeches. Uh, we've heard them talk about it uh, really since the legislature adjourned last session. Mm-hmm. Why is this top of mind right now? Let's pretend that we don't have to live in Colorado and aren't intimately feeling it ourselves. Yeah, let's pretend. Well, uh, let me set the stage with the housing market itself. I think everyone knows that we've been in an increasing housing crunch pretty much since Julie bought that condo in 2008, or since we started to recover from the Great Recession, rather. Now, this may be a surprise to some people, but there was kind of a glimmer of hope or a glimmer of something back around 2019 when rent increases and housing prices finally started slowing down and flattening out. That was a hot minute. Yeah, it was a hot minute because the pandemic came and things just exploded. You can almost draw it exactly to March of 2020 when everything really began to deviate very heavily from the norm. So that's Matt Laprino, a spokesperson for the Colorado Association of Realtors. The housing market, he explained, is now seeing 20% price gains. And that's just on top of the mammoth increases that we already had coming out of the Great Recession. And at this point, homes in Denver, for example, are selling in five days, typically. You know, like realtors make money when prices rise, but even they're really, really worried about where things are heading right now. With nothing to buy, I don't see prices decreasing anytime soon. And I believe it's going to probably come to a point where people might not be looking at Denver as a viable alternative as a place to live anymore. What's driving this? Is this an in-migration thing? Is it just 
more people want to live in Colorado than we have houses for? Um, you know, it's that's part of what's been happening over the entire time of this housing crunch. But things are kind of different and new in this latest phase. It's now really a national problem. Prices are rising almost anywhere that you could think of or, you know, in a lot of places. You're seeing a ton of new factors like continued low interest rates, government economic support through the pandemic, people moving around because of remote work, the pandemic's interruption to housing construction, all just pouring fuel on this fire that's really been burning again for a decade at this point. And why aren't there enough houses? I mean, have we been building places for people? Well, we had a big drop in housing production coming out of the recession, actually. You know, in the 2010s, housing production was basically back at 1960s levels. It was a 40% drop from the previous decade. We're now paying the piper for that. Things are just accelerating in totally new ways. And I don't know, the way people are talking about this housing crisis seems to be changing even in these last couple of years, even if you thought it couldn't get worse. You know, Kimball Krangle is an affordable housing developer who's worked on the policy side. She said that 2020, 2021 just continued to surprise her in ways that she couldn't have imagined before to the point that, as she puts it. I mean, I, I do feel like we're on the precipice of an economic reckoning and what's at stake is the Colorado culture. It's not just saying do our businesses stay open? It's that we're taking care of each other in a way that's healthy. So you're saying that demand is ramping up, supply is down. Uh, mm -hmm. I took Economics 101. <laughs> the market is clearly out of whack here. One thing that I've seen just in the reporting on this issue is how statewide it's become. Yeah. Uh, in the decade plus I've lived in Colorado, when I moved here, Sure, the Denver metro area was unaffordable. Boulder was unaffordable. But there were a lot of other places that weren't talking about this problem. Now, you know, we hear from the mountains that the housing stock is all turning into Airbnbs and, and nobody can live anywhere. We're hearing from Pueblo that prices are going up and, and Grand Junction and Durango and, and Colorado Springs. This is now a statewide concern. Yeah, and I spent some time talking to people the last couple of weeks just to reground myself in what this means for everyone. Even being fairly new to living in the high country, it's personal and it's like super frustrating. I heard from Nate Feflick, a snowboard instructor who was working at the resort, tending bar, and then on his off days, he was a logger in the forest, all to live with four guys in two rooms. Like I need personal space to like kind of process and like wind down from my day. That kind of goes away within those closed quarters. I heard from Jeremiah Miller, who makes $120,000 a year in software, but doesn't have great credit or savings yet. And so he's thinking he's going to have to move to Pittsburgh. I've heard from people who just feel like they're getting ground out. Robert Maxey told me that he barely scrimped together on a federal job salary, $60,000 a year at this point, barely scrimped together enough to afford a one-bedroom condo. People talk about America being the richest country in the world. I do not feel rich. I feel very, very poor. He said he's getting pushed to the edge. It destroyed me mentally. I was always exhausted. Okay, so I think most of us living in Colorado have some personal story about our connection to this troubled housing market. Uh, as we just heard from Julie, lawmakers are living it. So what are they going to do about it? What's going to be really interesting about the next few months is that this time of 
really sharp crisis is actually coinciding with the time of lots of new resources. The federal government has made billions of dollars in COVID relief funds available to the state. Lawmakers say they're going to spend quite a big chunk of that on affordable housing, on making housing more accessible. And for context here, this is federal COVID relief money that Congress approved to help the state's recover from the pandemic. And so Colorado policymakers have said, well, the thing that really helps us recover is helping people have housing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and let me give you just a sense of what that could mean. So like a recent typical year for Colorado, 2018, state might have put $25 million from state revenues into affordable housing, maybe add on another 10 or $20 million from federal sources, like $45 million total for the statewide response. And what are they talking about this year? So this year, they've got $400 million of the federal money earmarked for housing purposes. And that's on top of some already substantial new sources that state lawmakers have created in the last couple of years. What is it going to actually go to? Like, get concrete for me, too. Forgive that pun. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) People are going to be looking for concrete because the lion's share of this is going to be going into supporting the development of affordable housing, designated affordable housing. So units like the one Julie Gonzalez bought. Yeah, exactly. Uh, It'll be going out as loans, low interest loans and grants to support developers and nonprofits and governments that want to build that kind of stuff, that kind of designated unit. Well, we live in a state with 7 million people. So how many units does $400 million actually build? Does it make a difference? (laughs) Yeah, I've I've been asking that question, you know, not just how many units is going to build, like what will it do to rent for me? Will it decrease my rent? Mm -hmm. Um, what does it mean to transform the housing economy? And I got a lot of uh, my favorite and least favorite answer, which is good question. That usually means the people trying to answer your question don't know and need a moment to think. Correct. Representative Dylan Roberts, who was on that task force to spend the housing money and represents the high country where they've got a pronounced housing crisis, said, That question you just posed is a fundamental question that we tackled and wrestled with. And the truth is, there's no clear answer to that. Kathy Alderman with the Colorado Coalition for the Homeless said, It's so hard. And we've had a lot of discussions about, like, can we identify, like, a number of actual units to be built? And the answer is no. So, long story short, I didn't get a lot of specifics about what it could do, which, fair, you know, legislature hasn't even approved these plans yet. But we do know how they'll probably spend it, like the big pots. We want to use this money to invest in things that are happening already on the ground in our communities. Whether that is in some mechanisms, creating revolving loan funds where that money can be used to provide the gap financing so that the project can actually get built and then be recycled and be reused again. Here's here's a good example. The Yampa Valley Housing Authority near Steamboat Springs recently acquired 500 acres of land that it got through an anonymous financial donation. You know, that's amazing. That's a huge chunk of land. Yeah. But it's really expensive to develop on that scale. You have to build infrastructure, you know, the buildings themselves, which is not easy in this mm-hmm. economy. So what Dylan Roberts said is that this federal money could hopefully drop in there and get that construction moving way, way sooner than you'd see otherwise. And in that case, like, yeah, 500 acres could be transformational for Steamboat Springs. Long term, does this move the Colorado housing market? Does it make it affordable for everyone? Great question, as uh, <laughs> many sources have told me this week. I think that what we can say is that on the one hand, we know it's going to build a lot of units that will most likely improve people's lives, let them live closer to work, let them have more space, improve their children's lives. 
But when I asked Peter Lafari, My name is Peter Lafari. I serve as executive director for Maker Housing Partners. We're the housing authority for Adams County. What he expected for the market as a whole, would this really be transformational? He said, Yeah, status quo, man. Status quo, unfortunately. Well, Andy, if there's one thing I know about the legislature, it's that spending money can often be a lot easier than changing policy, especially when it's a lot of money, especially when it's federal money. Uh Um, So I feel like we've talked about the easy part of this issue, which is that there's a big pot of money. It will go into a solution that already is out there, which are these types of affordable housing loan funds. Mm -hmm. Uh, So let's make it harder. Are lawmakers actually looking at policy changes that they think could make it more affordable for people on average or below average incomes to buy a home or rent a home. Yeah, it sounds like you're asking, like, what happens when you get outside of that capital A affordable? What happens for somebody who, like I mentioned earlier, makes 60000 a year and may not qualify? Exactly. Your guy who's going to have to move to Pittsburgh because he can't afford housing on 120000 a year. Yeah, I don't know what will happen for him. But we're hearing some different things from both parties, actually, about more tangible, granular things. You know, they want to help mobile home park residents buy their own communities Mm. and and take control of that. They want to support prefabricated housing by giving incentives to make it easier to do everything from building mobile homes to, like, embracing new construction styles. They want prefabricated housing factories to come to Colorado. The Republicans are talking about encouraging seniors to rent out their homes or giving tax credits that would allow people to write off their rent. So different ways of nibbling around the edges and trying to make life a little bit easier for your market rate renter or buyer. Okay, but to go back to what we talked about at the beginning in this episode, it seems like the fundamental problem is supply and demand. We're a desirable state to live in. A lot of people are moving here from wealthier markets where they can sell homes for more and buy the homes that are out of the reach of a lot of people living in Colorado. Are they doing anything beyond the modular housing and the prefab housing to try and, I guess, course correct the market? That's what some people want to see them do. Peter Lafari, who we heard from a little bit earlier, said that the housing market's fundamentally broken and people like him, who you might classify as yes in my backyarders or supply siders, They really want to see the state government intervene in ways that make it way easier to build housing of all types. Mm. Housing production in the 2010s was down like 40 percent. So there is a supply and demand element here. The problem is that some of the people who have the most influence over the supply, they ain't working in the legislature. It would say more. (laughs) They work at City Hall. Oh, yeah. You know, city lawmakers are in charge of stuff like land use. How many units can you build on a piece of property? Building codes. And that's kind of a new and forbidden frontier that we've only seen state lawmakers in Colorado start to tiptoe into. So I know like in California, the state has gotten pretty aggressive about Mm -hmm. trying to force local governments to allow density to do away with these single family homes that don't house as many people as a condo building, say. I'm guessing the Colorado lawmakers aren't trying to pick that fight. Yeah, I mean, California doesn't want to knock down your house, but they are saying with this new law that pretty universally you can build two where once you can only build Mm -hmm. one. Colorado, there's very little appetite for state lawmakers to kind of take that stick and (laughs) tell cities like, hey, make room for density. Um, But we are hearing about it from a couple different angles. You know, I asked Kenneth Landers, he's the deputy policy director for the Senate Republicans about this. 
And what he basically said was that, yeah, they want to go further than just funding and they want to get rid of some of the limits on private industry and let the supply of housing ramp up. There's a consensus in this building that we need to invest more in affordable housing. We're happy to move forward there. But there are other phenomena going on in the state that are clearly contributing to to the lack of inventory. And one of those is sort of anti-growth ordinances that we're seeing at, at local level. There's a Republican bill that would, uh, you know how like cities like Golden and Lakewood have these kind of limits on new construction? They, yeah, as I recall, Lakewood, it was voter passed and yeah. whew, boy, that was a big story. Yeah, there's a Republican proposal. It's not going to pass because it's going to the kill committee that would have outlawed those types of bans from being put in place. And Andy, I'm actually remembering that Last year, there was a bill that became law from the other side of the aisle, from Democrats who are in the majority, that incentivizes local governments to build more and to build more densely. Uh, If Republicans are now saying we need to stick to drive local governments toward more building, Democrats last year were saying, well, let's let's try this carrot over here. Yeah, that's exactly right. Democrats have started to dabble with those incentives and You know, they are saying, and you're hearing from some of the more influential lawmakers on housing, that, like, they ain't going to get into land use. But they will support the cities with extra money, and they will support them in making laws that make it easier for cities to pass pro-housing, pro-density policies. Interesting. You know, as we talk more and more about growing our way out of this problem, what's tickling in the back of my head are all the questions that we get to the newsroom from the public about Does Colorado have a carrying capacity? I mean, our climate change unit is constantly reporting on how there is not enough water in this state for all the water users. The the town of Fountain last year was saying, we can't put water in all the taps that people want to hook up to our town. Severance just put a limit on new taps, or I think put a moratorium on new taps. Do we have a problem where basically the demand for housing is going to run into the natural limits of the state? Yeah, it's a really gigantic and interesting question, and one I was kind of hoping that we'd pose in this episode (laughs) so that somebody else could answer it. Um, Lord knows we don't have the answer. I don't have the answer, but when I posed that to a couple economists with the Colorado Futures Center, Phyllis Hartley and Jennifer Newcomer, who are, you know, brilliantly guiding me through the intricacies of the housing market, it was the one thing that drew them up short. They said that water is the gorilla in the room that's not been quite talked about. It's kind of looming over So where does this leave the average person trying to live in Colorado? I mean, the people that you talk to, do they see any hope? In different ways. I mean, yes, the one guy I talked to lives in Steamboat now. Maybe he'll get one of those units. There's a strong chance he could qualify for one of those units when it gets built. But for others, it's really hard to imagine anything bending the way this market is going, deflecting it. Um, you know, Robert Maxey, who's stuck in that one-bedroom condo, who's really suffering with it, not holding out hope for government intervention. He is holding out hope that this is dark. For me, my personal hope is that the market's going to crash any day. And that'll open the door like it opened the door for a lot of people back in 2008 and 9 for him to finally buy something more suitable. So pretty evident that a lot of people are so locked out of the current housing market that all they can hope for <laughs> is that it resets. Well, uh, for a show about politics and policy, I think uh, this might be one of those places where we have to admit there is a limit to how much government may be able to do in this circumstance. That said, I feel like the future is never set. So we might be having a completely different conversation about housing in a year or two. Well, you know what fascinates me about this housing topic is that everyone sees it now. 
and it collides with the political philosophies in interesting ways. It's clear that legislators are more willing than ever to talk about it. And we're going to be there to see what they decide and where it goes and what it says about the future of Colorado. And you'll be here with us. Hopefully. That's it for this week's episode. We'll be back in your feeds in two weeks. Purple is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn more about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Megan Verlee. And I'm Andrew Kenny. This is Purplish from CPR News.